0: This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message.
1: Would you all turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning for the Scripture reading? Uh, 1 Corinthians, and we'll be in chapter 9. <clears throat> Moving on through, we're going to read, uh, we'll read verses 1 down through 18. Uh, so chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own, Whoever goes to war at his own expense, Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows... Should plough in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, it is a, it is great a thing if we reap our material things. If, also, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things Eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel.
0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we are thankful to you today, and we come in the name of Jesus, Lord, I'm just asking, as always, for your aid here, we pray for your empowerment. Lord, enable us to grasp the message you're communicating here through your word. I ask that you grant uh, faithfulness to me so that uh, I may speak the truth here with clarity, And with accuracy, Father, we pray that you open all of our ears to hear. Make us hearers and receivers of your truth. Make us good ground, Lord, so that we take your word in, so that we soak it up. Father, we pray that all of these things work in such a way to bring glory and honor and praise to you. It's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Um, all right. Appreciate that, Zach. And uh, I try, you know, I was, I was thinking a while ago. Um, you know when when I when I come in even when I first come in you, my my intention um, to be real honest with you is is to get down to business so i, I you know sometimes I think you know maybe maybe that comes across as a, as a little bit um uh, unhospitable <laughs> and i want I want you to know uh, I'm going to say now how, how much I appreciate every one of you here and I've been thinking you know this this week in particular how much I appreciate all the all the men here, and, and uh, you know, um, from Zach all the way up to the younger ones like uh, like Ronnie and and, uh, and uh, Ron and brother Freddie and. <laughs> uh, but appreciate all of you, men and, and women, and uh, it's, I don't not say that. I mean, I don't I don't come up here and do a big howdy every uh, Sunday morning. Uh, it's not. I mean, it's not because I don't appreciate you. I love you and appreciate you, uh, and want you to know that. Um, and, and so it just made me think of it you know as, as Zach was reading, uh, appreciate that. Um, it is truly a blessing all the all the help. Um, we're going to look at at a, at a p- interesting passage this morning, and this is uh, not that it's not all interesting, but but uh, there's some um, different types of interesting things here from what we've been talking about but but Paul is continuing his case that he's been making. All along, uh, he, remember now he's he's answering, he's responding to uh, issues that have been raised um, before him through a, through the letter, in the form of a letter from the Corinthians. So we've been we've been taking those an issue at a time, and we'll continue to do so. Now, so he's so he's still he's still moving along those lines. He's not it's not like he shifted gears really or anything. He's just going from issue to issue. Now, I do want to keep a couple of things in mind that I may not have, have stressed enough here and probably should have stressed harder earlier on. Because generally what I, what I like to do when we go through a book is, is um, try to find a like a key verse that, that I can keep reminding us of. And I've certainly had one in mind here. I'm just not sure that I've said it enough. Um, but that would be chapter 10. Now, I'm going to give you, actually give you a couple, but if you just want one verse, like a key verse, chapter 10 verse 31, where Paul says, "So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God." That's, that's going to be a key verse for all, all of Corinthians. all right? And I've, I've mentioned it previously, but as I say, probably not, not enough stress on it. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do to all of the glory of God, this this is a this this is a driving theme here. I mean it's driving Paul's Paul's attitudes, driving Paul's arguments. Paul is living for the glory of God. So when he's responding to the Corinthians over issues that they raise, when he and when he's responding to their um, rebellion against him uh, their rejection of his apostleship, and when he's responding to sin that has been reported to him, you know, he's addressing sinful things like chapter five, for example. What drives him is this passion for God's glory. He this is not he's not putting this out there. You know, sometimes we we want to say. I think Leslie and I have tried to at least refrain from saying this. It doesn't mean we haven't done it, but we've at least not said it, I don't think. But sometimes we want to say to our children, do do as I say and not as I do. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And there's an element of truth to that. In other words, we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. And we don't want them copying our mistakes. We want them copying us or mimicking us. In the right that we do, but you could easily use that as an excuse and as a uh, as a um, as, as a justifier, right, for for hypocrisy and don't do as I say. I mean, do as I say and not as I do. Now, you know, because if they say, well, what about you when you do this? Well, don't do as I do. You do as I say, and I'm telling you, don't do that. Paul's not doing that. What, the instruction that he's giving them, he is living. At least from all of the examples we have. In the New Testament. Now, I'm not saying he was perfect. Paul didn't claim to be perfect. Um, but he is driven by this passion for the glory of God. Now that that works out in some different ways. For example, reaching the lost. And this is one of the points he's going to make in chapter 9. Reaching the lost and uh, using whatever um, means are profitable to that end. And I mean, really profitable for. For discipleship and godliness, and we're not we're not talking about just uh, just a, prag, a total pragmatic approach, but but using godly means, whatever godly means can be used, Paul is willing to use to get the gospel to the law. He's driven by passion to reach the lost because he's driven by a passion for the glory of God. And there's so many ways that that, that works out practically. Again, if, if we have a passion for the glory of God, whether we eat, drink, whatever we do to all of the glory of God, then again, as we've been discussing throughout this epistle, it's, it's going to radically affect our relationships, our attitudes toward other people. And so Paul is, is truth-driven here for one thing. I mean, that is, he wants the Corinthians to understand truth, and, and not just intellectually, but he wants, them, he wants them to grasp it, receive it, apply it, you know, absorb it. But again, that is motivated by his passion for the glory of God. Because if the people do this, if they receive the truth and live the truth, then the end result of that is God is glorified. So, so this is not just merely, although that temptation is there sometimes, but this is not merely Paul's attempt to make it light on himself. You know, you know if you people would act right, my job would be easier. No, Paul Paul is saying uh, to himself as well as the people, if we would act right, God would be glorified. And that's, that's what he's that's what he's striving for. Um, so he's driven for this, with this uh, passion for the glory of God, and it that manifests in, in evangelism, and it manifests in um, edification in the church. You know, we 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 we've talked several times about the two e's, right? Evangelism and edification. That's how that plays out. That's how glorifying God plays out. It's not. Uh, you know, isolating yourself. Go live on a mountain somewhere until Jesus comes. No, it's go out and reach lost souls and build up the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the way to glorify God. And that that takes form in, in a very insignificant things like eating and drinking, as well as um, the things that we would consider to be more significant, you know, how we do uh, worship and all of those kinds of things. So... so I, just to kind of make that practical. You, you, we got to get rid of this mentality that it's kind of like what I do um, what I do in what I call worship, like when we gather in the church building or whatever, matters, maybe. But what I do out in the world is different. No, we're to glorify God in all of our life, in every area of life, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, Paul says. Do it for the glory of God. So that, that ought to be our goal in everything. We are to live out an attitude of worship. You can you can worship and work on the job. You can worship and be on vacation with your family. And you say, well, sure, you know you can because there are a lot of chapels on the way, so you can pull over and stop and worship. <laughs> no, no, I mean while you're driving down the road. Having conversation in the car, while you're at the beach, whatever it is, you can worship while you're doing those things. And we must, and we must, um, we we must love. And that, that's going to take me to another passage here. And I'm going to read this, even though it's it's uh, it's not just one verse, because I, cause I want this in this backdrop uh, as we uh, as we move on into chapter nine this morning. So let's turn for a minute to chapter thirteen. Because here, here again, this, this is a theme behind all of Paul's argument here, and that is um, loving one another. And that's, that's the word here um, that, that is going to be expounded in chapter 13. I know, like, if you're looking at an old King James, it, it uses the word charity, but this is not charity in terms of, you know, like just giving. Uh, the Greek word agape here. Um, It certainly includes that, but it's much more than that. It it means to love in a very strong way. It's a strong word. Okay, so chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Now, Lord willing, we'll get to that chapter later and and, uh, have some opportunity to... To uh, talk about that and expound on that. But I, for now, I just want that in our minds as we continue here. Because this is behind what Paul is saying. Now, now Paul seems to be concerned with two things primarily here. Two, two um, things that he's going to address. One, freedom. And two, Authority. Now, they're translated a little differently in, in different translations. I didn't take time to you know, get them all on paper here in front of me, so you may just have to notice them as we go. But, for example, verse 1 is the, is the word freedom, or free, rather. Am I not free? Now, um, why does Paul bring that up? Because they have been, for one thing, they have been claiming a freedom and a right, which I'll get to that in a moment, To do certain things, even at the expense of brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, the things that they were doing may cause someone else to stumble, but they were determined to emphasize their freedom to do these things, even if it caused someone else to stumble. And so we've already seen that Paul has rebuked them for that. And what's behind that, and this is again one reason... I want those passages, First Corinthians ten thirty one and and uh, and then uh, chapter thirteen, in, in our minds because what is behind that are those things. Number one, to glorify God, and number two, love. That is, we have to be motivated in all that we do by those things: the glory of God, and we have to be motivated by love for one another. So this is what Paul has been been telling them about their their. Um, Exertion of their freedom, you know, you're not walking in love when you do those things at the expense of others. In fact, he says in chapter 8, verse 12, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So he's saying you're actually sinning. Uh, It's possibly you're doing something that is allowable, but because of the circumstances you're causing somebody else to stumble, you're in sin. So you, you think you're free to do this and and you're not, and you're you're sinning against christ so just like we've we've already seen previously, he wants to give them just we, we saw this with spirituality, he wants to give them the true spirituality right get 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 right thinking on spirituality, get right thinking about knowledge, get right thinking about wisdom, true wisdom, true knowledge, true spirituality well it 's kind of the same thing here he wants to uh, communicate to them what real freedom is. And real freedom for the Christian is being free, or you could even say freed, because Christ has freed us, we are freed to love. We're freed to love. And Paul's going to demonstrate that in talking about his own liberty. Um, it it uh, it makes always makes me think of the the um, the children of Israel when, when you when you read the um, the account of the Lord bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, delivering them at at, at you know with Moses going in the temple, and Moses goes before Pharaoh and you know we all know the scene. Goes before Pharaoh and says, "Let my people go." And uh, unfortunately, you know, when you think about that, you you probably picture Charlton Heston in your mind, but uh, <laughs> if you if you you know grew up watching that like I did, but we know the scene, we know the account. Now, free? Why did he want to let them go? Free? Freed for what? He was setting them free for a purpose. You might say, well, it was to um, get them into the promised land, to bless them. Well, that's certainly true. God was determined to bless them and and get them into the promised land. Um, But if you go back and read the accounts of Moses facing Pharaoh, he told them, you've got to let us go. You've got to let us go because we've got to go sacrifice to our God. In other words, you, you've got to set us free so that we can worship our God. And really, if you think about it, that's sort of the, the, the theme throughout the Old Testament. In other words, what God is continually communicating to them throughout the, the Old Testament record is that they need to engage in true worship. And I am the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, right? With a mighty arm. Now, why did He do that? To worship him. So they were freed to worship, and it's true of us as well, and part of that is to love. That is, we've been freed from sin so that we can engage in true worship. Worship in spirit and in truth. We've been freed from sin and self so that we can love. Now think, think about your own experience for a moment. Look back. Did you think, uh, I mean, if you thought about this at all, did you think you would ever be able to act in unselfish ways before you were saved? Every time I sing that song, the old man is dead, and I come to the line, I used to live such a wicked life. Sometimes it's hard to make it through that phrase because of the reality there. And for the unregenerate person, the whole life is centered around self. And for the Christian, we are being called out of that. We have been set free from that. Free to worship. Free to love. Free to do everything for the glory of God. Now, Paul says to them, and, and I'm going to have to read um, verse 13 here, because uh, he's con- continuing the thought. Chapter 8, verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Remember that discussion? They were, they were causing people to stumble by exercising their liberty, quote-unquote, their rights, quote-unquote. Um, and, and true enough, some of those things were... Um, some of them were, were, I think, genuine liberties. But our liberty is constrained by our love. It's constrained by love. Our, our behavior, like we've been talking about with the Corinthians, our behavior as Christians is governed by those two things. The glory of God. Pursuing the glory of God. In other words, if I think about in terms of behavior, if I do this, will God be glorified? Number one. Number two, can I do this in love? In other words, will somebody else be edified by my doing this? So, so love governs our behavior. So Paul says in verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. Is, why is, it, is that because Paul thinks it's wrong to eat meat? No, he's just saying, he's giving them a scenario. If meat caused my brother to stumble, then I would not eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. What he's saying is, love governs my freedom. Christ has set me free. True. But... Um, that freedom is a limited, constrained freedom. Like my old, old pastor used to say years ago, pe- people used the, the term, I, I want to be free as a bird. I used to sing a song, Free Bird, um, <laughs> all the time. And, uh, you know, I thought it was great, you know, the whole, the whole uh, uh, concept there, the whole attitude it was putting across. And uh, people think, you know, that's where... that. Comes from. People think, free as a bird. Well, a bird can only fly so high. You know, unless it has a spacesuit on because uh, it goes out of the atmosphere, runs, runs out of the elements that it needs to live. It can only fly so low because it crashes into the ground. Right? So there are limits, and there are limits for us. Our, our, we should stand fast in our liberty. We are free. But again, that freedom is controlled by love. So it's, it's not an unlimited. It's controlled by love and it's controlled by, as Paul will say, uh, the law, the law of Christ. So verse one. He's just made that statement. If, if it's going to cause my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat. Now, am I not free? Well, there's a couple of things going on here. Number one, what we just talked about, and you would say, well, apparently you're not free because, um, you know, you'd never eat meat again if it was going to cause somebody to stumble. So how free is that? I mean, no, you're not free. But Paul is, is, is making the case, yes, <laughs> this is real freedom. This is real freedom. I've, I'm free from sin. I'm free from selfishness. I'm free to love. Right Now, there's, there's another thing going on here that I need to mention, and then we'll move on quickly here in the last few minutes that we have. Um, remember also that Paul is still um, defending his apostleship. And he's going to move right into that also. He's kind of picking up, uh, what again, what he had been talking about back in chapter 4. So he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord in Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Now, let me stop there for a moment. First of all, Paul is addressing his apostleship. He's saying, my apostleship is, is genuine. Am I not an apostle? And he hits with a barrage of rhetorical questions here. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord? So, so Paul is saying, look, the evidence of my apostleship is there. I've seen the Lord Jesus and, by the way, are you not my workmanship? What Paul is saying is, even the fact that you exist, the, the Corinthian church, even the fact that you exist as a church is proof of my apostleship, because Paul was the one that took the Word to them originally, and it came to them, that is, the Word of God came to them in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, right? So, so even uh, the fact that they are Christians is a testimony to Paul's apostleship, and then he addresses the, the question of authority in verse three. Oh, and I, I skipped the part about the seal. He calls them a seal. Uh, you, you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Um, the seal representing, uh, you know, ownership there or, or validation. Um, so, so again, Paul is saying the fact that you exist as a church proves my apostleship. Now, in verse 3 he says, This is my defense to those who would examine me. And remember, again, he's facing some who reject him, him as an apostle, reject his teaching. And he says in verse 4, Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Now, now this word right... At least that's the way it's translated in the the, uh, ESV. I think it's power in the uh, King James. Um, It's the word for authority. Do we not have authority? Do we not have authority or the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the authority to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles? Verse 6, Is it only Barnabas and I who have no authority or right? To refrain from working for a living, and then you get down to uh, middle. uh, In verse twelve, if others have, if if others share this right or authority on you, do not even, do not uh, we even more. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this authority or right. And he's picking up on their um, their wording. Uh, from their from their argument about their, their liberty. In fact, it's translated that way back in chapter 8. Look real quickly back in chapter 8 and verse 9. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Take care that this right, or you, your translation may say liberty, or... Something of that nature. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So they are claiming rights. And Paul is saying, wait a minute. Your, your, your freedom and your rights are to be governed by love. Now, let me tell you about true freedom and how it operates. Now, let me tell you about real rights and authority. He's coming back with some of their language. They're saying, we've got rights. We, we're free. We've got freedom to do this. We can, we can go to the... To the uh, to the feast in the pagan temples, and we can eat of the meat that is offered to idols. We're free. We've got the right to do this. And Paul is saying, wait a minute, it's causing other Christians to stumble, and you don't have that right. But now he's coming back with that kind of language and saying, I am free, in the truest sense. And let's talk about some of my rights, he says. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles, the brothers of our Lord and Cephas? And and, and the idea is that they take them along and that they would be provided for. Verse 6, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Now, we're going to see as we go through here that that Paul, uh, as I just read a moment ago, he has not made use of this right. But there's a reason that he hasn't. And so he's, he's bringing this up to them now. You reject our apostleship. And Paul says, we, we have this claim on you, but we don't exercise it. He's going to go on to say, um, for the sake of the gospel. But the authority, the right, is there, he says. In other words, by implication, if you, if you answer his rhetorical question. Verse 4, Paul and Barnabas, they have the right, they have the authority to eat and drink at the expense of the Corinthians. They have the right to take along believing, a believing wife, as do the other apostles, brothers of the Lord and Cephas, who is Peter. Um, they have the right, verse 6, to refrain from working for a living. And Paul goes on to explain that. And we'll make it into that tonight. We won't have time this morning. But just very quickly, he said in verse 14, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Paul says that's, that's a command from the Lord. Those who proclaim the gospel get their living by the Gospel. Jesus said, a laborer is worthy of his hire. And yet, they're not getting that from the Corinthians. Now, I've, I've, I've heard people say, oftentimes, well, you know, um, it, it's it, it's an option, and the preachers can can work and preach, which, as, as, as I do, we call it today, we call it bivocational um, Tent makers, you know, because Paul was a tent maker. So a lot of times that, that term is used today for vocational ministers. Tent makers, right? You, you work and you preach the gospel. Well, one problem with that, of course, is, you know, what Peter says in Acts chapter 6. You know, we, we, we are to be serving the Word. We will give ourselves to prayer and the service of the Word. So he's following through with what with, with Jesus' principle The labor is worthy of their hire. In fact, um, when he sent the 70 elders out, he said, you know, you go into a a house and you eat and drink what's set before you um, because the labor is worthy of his hire. You know, you're going out and preaching the gospel. And as Paul says here, those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, that's not happening with the Corinthian church and with Paul. It does happen, for example, with the Philippian church and Paul. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Because if Paul were just strictly a bivocational preacher, in other words, it was just optional, and Paul said, well, you know what, I don't want to burden the church, so I will work in order to not burden the church. If that were the case, then why is he taking money from the Philippians? And, and um, praising them for it. You know, nobody gives and receive, participates in giving and receiving with me like you do, Paul says. So, I don't, I, don't think the, the, uh, the, I don't think the issue here is, is well, it's just optional. I, I think it's because of the problems here. Paul will not receive support from the Corinthians because they are rebelling against him. Because they reject his apostleship. And it seems to me um, to, to uh, the let me say it this way, the only cases I know of in, in the New Testament... Um, and I haven't you know, diligently searched it all out. So, I mean, you may, you may find another one. If you do, let me know. But the only cases I know of where, where, where this is the case in the New Testament, it's because of problems. So, again, here you've got a strained relationship between the Corinthian church and Paul. So, he refuses to receive um, monetary uh, provisions from them because he doesn't want the gospel hindered. Just like he told them... Now, you shouldn't meet offered idols if it causes somebody to stumble. He doesn't want them to stumble. And so he says, you know, I'm just going to do this at my own expense. Um, You know, you, you need to concentrate on following Christ. The only other example I can think of is with the Thessalonian church. And there, there is not rebellion against Paul, but there is a problem with idleness. Unwillingness to work. And so Paul tells the Thessalonians... Essentially, I didn't get anything from you and I'm not taking anything from you because I tried to set an example for you to show you that you need to work. I mean, that's a paraphrase, but, uh, but that's, that's um, essentially the case with the Thessalonian church. So in both places, there are different problems, but there are problems. Nevertheless, the rule is, Paul says, that he who proclaims the gospel should live or make get their living by the gospel. Now Paul is reminding them we have this right. Barnabas and I have this right, and then he gives some of the some of the logic. Verse seven: Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Imagine that if we put together a army, United States Army, and and uh, said, so now here's what we want you to do. You know, we want to send you off to Afghanistan, send you off to Iraq, and uh, oh. You're going to need to buy some supplies before you go. And uh, and you're going to need money for a fare getting over there and back. And, and it's going to be a little expensive, but, um, but we need you to go fight this war. Paul says, who does that? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? You plant the vineyard so that you can... Enjoy the fruit of it. That's part of the reward. Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Pulling from uh, their culture there with the vineyards and and shepherds. Do I say, verse 8, Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? Referring to the Old Testament. Verse 9, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And, and, uh, this is one reason it's, it's so important to read the Old Testament. You know, we, we, we were talking a little bit about this in Sunday school. The principles that are there um, are still relevant. Now, you, you can read a, a, a passage like that. Um, don't, don't muzzle the ox while it's, while it's treading out the grain. Um, and, and you can think, oh, well, you know, how does that... I don't have an ox. <laughs> how does that apply today? Well, there's, see, there's a principle there that carries over in a lot of other ways. And one, Paul is saying, is uh, in, in provision for the one who's preaching the gospel. In fact, he's quite adamant about that. He, does, he doesn't even just offer it as an implication. He says uh, in verse 9, Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does not He speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop or in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things, talking about himself and Barnabas. And if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you. Do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right or authority, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now, here's, here's the point I want to close with, because we're out of time. Let me just be real clear here. Paul is saying, here's the way Jesus designed it. Those who preach the gospel they are they are providing spiritual food for the people so in return their physical needs are met It's sort of a, sort of an exchange of services it it is not compensation for you know work done it's not merely that that is certainly part of it. jesus said labor, uh, the labor the worthy of his hire but it's, it's sort of an exchange of service. Paul says, we've supplied your spiritual food, and you, um, by right, should supply our, our um, physical need, material things. Or carnal is the word there, fleshly, material things. Now, others are, are doing this, Paul says. And he, he probably has in mind some of the ones who are stirring up trouble for him. But, he says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. So, again, let's be clear. He's saying it is, it is our right. We do have authority for this. It is the way Jesus commanded that it be. Nevertheless, we're not doing it. Is, is Paul disobeying the Lord? Well, and this is, where, again, what I want us to finish with. He's going on to show them there, there is a higher principle. Paul was not unwilling to have his needs provide for, as I've already pointed out. Uh, other churches were doing that. He would not take it from the Corinthians because of the problems there. So he says, he gives the logic in verse, um, verse 12, We have not made use of this authority, but we endure anything. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle... In the way of the Gospel of Christ. You see what he's saying? My number one objective is to preach the Gospel faithfully. Paul's saying, my goal concerning you, my number one objective concerning you, is for you to hear and receive the Gospel. For Christ to be formed in you. And Paul says, I'm not willing to let anything, I'll endure anything, In order to avoid an obstacle in reaching that goal, do you, verse thirteen. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple, serve, in temple service, get their food from the temple? He's making the logic again um, that this is his right, his authority. This is the way it should be. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. And you read, read, read the? Uh, um, the book of Leviticus, and you'll see how God laid all of that out when the sacrifices were brought. The, uh, the tribe of Levi, that's that they lived off of the sacrifices and tithes. Verse 14, in the same way, Paul says, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So Paul's saying, just like it was, we, we would say, under the Old Testament, Paul's saying in the same way, that's the way it is with the preaching of the gospel. Except we're not in a physical temple and we're not, we're not um, doing sacrifices of animals. So it's shifted now, Old Testament, New Testament. Instead of temple and sacrifices, now it's preaching the gospel. And those who ministered in the temple partook of the sacrifices. Those who preach the gospel, Paul says, should live Or get their living by the gospel. Actually, Jesus says. He's quoting Jesus here. Verse 15, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. He says, I haven't taken those things from you, and I don't want them now. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. And Paul doesn't want to miss the reward. But, if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. That is, I have responsibilities, what he's saying. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my authority... Are right in the gospel. So here, here's the summation. Paul is saying, Our rights, our authority, even, even the apostle, apostolic authority, our authority is governed by love and the pursuit of the glory of God. Our liberty, and as Christians we do, we have great liberty. We have more than we want to acknowledge a lot of times. I mean, we put laws on ourselves because we think, oh, man, that's too much liberty. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we actually adopt a lot of, the, uh, of the, the, the thinking of the world. You know, it's like Paul talking in Colossians, you know, do not touch, do not taste, don't handle. And he says, what are, you, what are you doing that for? Those things have a, a show of godliness, but they, they don't accomplish anything in terms of true Righteousness. So we have great liberty, yet, yet it's, again, governed by love. So, again, the bottom line, Paul is saying, look, pursue the glory of God in everything that you do. Whether you eat or drink, you know, before you sit down at an idol, at a table where meat is offered to idols, you ask yourself, is this going to glorify God? Ask yourself, is this going to cause another brother or sister to stumble? And Paul's saying, that's exactly what I do. I have rights. I have authority. I have freedom. But he says, I have to ask myself, is this going to further the gospel? If I insist on my rights. And he's saying, my primary concern. Is the gospel. My primary concern in terms of people is to see them come to know Christ and follow Christ. And he says, I don't want to do anything that would put an obstacle in their way as they seek to do that. Would you stand? You may be here today and um, be one of the people that uh, the church, you know, the people that I was just addressing, Christians. You may be here today, you may be a Christian. And so, you know, we have some understanding. We don't do it perfectly, but we have some understanding of what it means to live for the glory of God. On the other hand, you may be here today and you may not be a Christian. You may not know Jesus in truth. And I just want to leave you this one thought. Every person every person has the responsibility to live for the glory of God. And the only way that you can move into that and operate there is to submit to Jesus as Lord. Ask him for forgiveness of your sins. And begin to follow Him and obey Him. But you're not exempt. You're not exempt from this responsibility to live for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to You for Your Word. And we do pray, Lord, for... Continued uh, understanding Your grace operating in us to, to give us understanding of Your will, give us understanding of Your Word, and to apply it in everyday situations, even the ones that we typically think to be insignificant, small. Teach us, Father, to do everything that we do for Your glory. And Lord, if there is anyone in this room today who does not know You in truth, may they see now, we pray, that by Your Spirit, You would bring this truth to bear on their heart. May they see now their negligence. May they see now the need for them to surrender. Surrender to You and to Your will. and Submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us. Or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304, Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.